My cousin Frank is about 10 years older than I am. And I remember as a young child walking into his room, we'd gone to Pasadena, Texas to visit with my parent, my mom, and his mom were sisters. And so we were over there and I wandered as a young child into Frank's room and I was immediately struck with how famous he was. Now, fame in the eyes of a young child is different than those of us who see them, those people as adults, but uh, for me, Frank was a star. In fact, he was an all-star, and he had the hats from Little League all-star teams and the jerseys and the pictures to prove that he was an all-star. And I remember as a young child thinking, I want to be like Frank. Our world, and particularly our society, has a special place for the all-stars. Just last night, as a matter of fact, the the National Football League recognizes those who are the stars of the stars, even. Fame and notoriety comes with being an all-star. Last week, uh, when we were in this holding pattern for real football, we had to endure the Pro Bowl. The NFL All-Stars, as they attempted to convince us that they were playing football for real. This summer, the AAA baseball All-Star game will be held here in our fair city, just a handful of blocks away from here. All-Stars have special places in our society. It is that person, the All-Star is that person who has proven himself to be above and beyond the rest and as it, we, as it relates to that, we come to a text today where we meet an all-star. Join me, if you will, in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, and we'll get to all of that in just a few moments. But as we settle into this idea of the all-stars, let me take you back to church league softball. Now, some of you, I know some of you played church league softball because you told me about it when I got here, and I enjoyed hearing all the stories, and and as it turns out, we have a guy on our staff who apparently is a true church league all-star. I'm not going to tell you what his name is, but it's not Elvin. (laughs) Church league all-stars. In this passage today, Jesus tells a story, and in this story, we begin with a clear favorite as the church league all-star. Verse 10 says this. Jesus, as he begins to tell this parable, this story, he says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And just like that, we are confronted with a comparison, and we all know, don't we, that there's really no comparison here. If you're talking about a Pharisee and a tax collector in the same sentence and in the same story, well, there's clearly only one of those guys who qualifies as an all-star. Pharisees in first century Jewish life get, sometimes in the way we talk about them in our church circles, we kind of give them a, a, a bit of a, of a demotion, if you will, from what first century Jewish people would have given them. As a matter of fact, in first century Jewish life, Not necessarily with the way Jesus talked to them and about them, but in first century Jewish life, the Pharisees were the all-stars. Their their very name, that sect, S-E-C-T, that is, that group of people known as Pharisees, actually grew up and out of a, a very nationalistic and religious problem. 
as much as, well, significant time before this. Let's just say it that instead of trying to tie it exactly to a time frame. By the time Jesus comes on the scene and we begin to talk about and see these Pharisees in Jewish life, they've been around for a while. And they grow out of a time when the nation was, was running away from their faith and the covenant that God had called them to live. And so they come in and they begin to double down with the people and it becomes this almost a purity kind of an emphasis that they have. And in this time of national decline, their message to the Jewish people was, if we will get our lives right with God, and if we will double down, if you will, and live the covenant that God has given us in the Old Testament, then they said, then God will favor us among the nations. So it started long before the Romans came, but by the time the Romans got there, the Pharisees doubled down even again. In the time of national and religious decline, these religious leaders were a reform movement. They were a holiness movement. And they were famous among the people of the land. The regular people, people like you and I, loved them and were respecting them because of the stance that they took and the message that they brought. You might say that if the Pharisees' goal was to contextualize the covenant that God had made with Israel, to contextualize it in whatever time frame they were living in, in this case, in that time of Roman occupation, that's their job. They're going to contextualize that so that the children of Israel can live the way God intended them to live. You might say that modern-day preachers kind of fit the mold of what a Pharisee was. And all of us know that modern-day preachers are the most popular people in town. (laughs) You know, sometimes I throw that stuff out there just to see if you're still listening. Some of you made the cut. If you still are not convinced that this guy is the church league all-star, if you will, then just look at his prayer. Let's read a couple of verses here. This guy, five times in two different verses, two verses, five times he talks about himself. He talks about the fact that he is above and beyond. He offers more than what the law requires of him. He fasts on a regular basis. He also tithes more than he's required. And we also notice his posture, his position, and his attitude. Let's just read a little bit here. So we drop down now into verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself, that's his position, because after all, all stars don't need to be bothered by regular people. So he's standing by God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortionists, or excuse me, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This guy, if you're not convinced yet that he is the all-star of the game, just listen to his words. I. The subject of his prayer is I. And he measures himself against the standard of this other guy that we'll get to in just a few moments. Let's stop here for a moment, and let's see if we can wear this in modern-day life. What are the criteria that we kind of inadvertently, unconsciously 
What are those standards that we apply when we start picking out the church league all-stars among us? Maybe it's if you have a certain number of degrees that you can add to your name so that when people introduce you, they, they know that you're somebody, at least in an educational context. Some people think that makes the all-star. Uh, some people think it's the size of the Bible that they carry. I had a friend, actually he's a very dear friend of mine, and we went to seminary together. His name was Bill, and Bill carried around this huge Bible. Now, not quite as big as these that we have down front, but it was close. And I noticed that Bill carried that big Bible with him everywhere he went. And it bothered me because I knew Bill. I, I, well, I'll just leave it at that. I knew Bill. He carried this big Bible. So one day I just confronted him with it. And I said, what's the deal with the big Bible? He said, well, that's the one I like to preach out of. I said, well, that doesn't explain why you carry it around all the time. He said, well, I just kind of like to, like to have it with me. And I said, why do you preach out of a big Bible like that? I mean, most of the time I lay mine down here and work. But he said, nope. He said, I carry a big Bible because when I'm preaching and I think people aren't listening, and I take that big Bible and I just slam it down on the pulpit. So is it the size of the Bible that makes for a church league all-star? I, I would suggest to you that it's less about the size of the Bible that elevates people for us, and it's more about our perception of how they teach the Bible. Every church has its all-star cast of Bible teachers. Not just every church, but the, the church has that. If you don't believe that, then go to a Christian bookstore somewhere and look for the best-selling authors section, the all-stars of the church. What are the standards that we use to identify those people that we believe are above and beyond everybody else. Maybe it's not the size of the Bible. By the way, you can tell I'm picking on preachers this morning. Maybe it's not the size of the Bible. Maybe it's the voice that the preacher uses. You know the voice that I'm talking about? That exceedingly reverential, well, the way they say God, for instance. God. It is that, that tone of voice that clarifies and identifies this is a special person that's doing the talking up there. I've known several of these guys. One of them, my favorite preacher, I think the prince of preachers in our time, speaking of all-stars, who has this natural voice that is deep and resonating. Even when he's talking, in, for instance, he might say, open the door. It just has that ring to it. <laughs> what, what are the criteria that we use to identify and clarify those among us that we label as all-stars in God's church? What's your standard? What do you use when you do that thing that all of us do, which is look to somebody and you decide whether this person makes the cut or not? What is the standard that you use. You've probably already anticipated, I hope you have, that there's a problem with all this stuff that I'm talking about here, right? The problem is, it's really tied up in this question. Who gets to decide the standard 
for those people that make the cut as the all-stars among us? What, what is it and who decides what it is that allows us to say of someone, well, that person's got it going, me not so much, or the people around him not so much? Who gets to make that? Now, Jesus is going to answer that question, who gets to set the standard. But before he does, he introduces us to somebody else. So in verse 13, the first part of it, he says this, but the tax collector, okay, let me just stop right there. But the tax collector, even the way Jesus begins the sentence, sets us up to believe that this guy cannot be the all-star into that story would have heard that went, oh, Pharisees, oh, yeah, preach it. But when Jesus moves and he says about the tax collector, then there's this collective, ooh, tax collectors. (laughs) When it comes to picking the all-star of this story, this guy's disqualified before he even makes the story. This is the guy, well, he's so disqualified that he only gets half of the space in the parable that the Pharisee gets. He just doesn't make the cut for us. As a matter of fact, there's a reason for that. In first century Jewish life, the tax collector is the guy who was a traitor against his own people. He was a Jew who had been given and bid for and gotten the contract, if you will, to collect the Roman taxes against his fellow Jews. And so that in itself set him apart. People didn't really care for these guys because they were traitors against the Jewish people. But then on top of that, they were greedy, most of them. And so as they were uh, required to collect whatever they had bid to get that job, anything above and beyond that they could collect, they could keep. So these guys were ruthless. These were the ones that the common people, as opposed to the Pharisees, these are the ones that the common people would have gone, no, no, no. Jesus says, but the tax collector, (laughs) no wonder they were reviled with the way they treated their own fellow people. That's why, by the way, he's on the fringes of this temple crowd It says that the Pharisee has gone to the temple to pray, and we've read that already, but let's drop down again to verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off. Of course he's standing far off. Nobody wants a tax collector in the temple. And tax collectors are smart enough to know that. And so he stands a distance away. As opposed to the Pharisee who takes up a front and center kind of a position and stands so that he can be seen and trumpets out all of the reasons that God would say, I'm so glad to have you on my team. Tax collector stands a long way off. Let me ask you, who are the tax collectors of our day? Who are the people in our church world that make church people look at them and say, what are you doing here? Now, I hope that just that little statement right there really bothers you. I hope that it bothers you that any church person would say to anybody, what are you doing here in church today? But that's the way Jesus tells this story. So who are the tax collectors of our day and of our world? We're tempted to answer that with uh, talking about the people who are down and out. Homeless people, maybe. Let me tell you about a homeless guy. 
I think his name was Steve. I honestly don't know because uh, even though I spent a lot of time with him, I don't remember his real name as much as I remember the name that people in church gave him. We gave him the name Total Package. Total Package. Total Package started attending our church in Deep South Texas a number of years ago now. He was homeless. And he was homeless because he wanted to be. I mean, several people in our church offered to give him a job and offered to put him up in an apartment and those kind of things. And he, he said, no, nope, I'm doing, I'm living life the way I want to live it. And so he lived at the park and he had a grocery shopping cart and he put everything in the world that he owned in that grocery shopping cart and all over town he would go pushing that around. And when he found our church, he found a home. I mean, he loved coming to church and he would come in Anytime the door was open and we were having services, he would, he would be there. Even during the week, he would drop by the office and walk in. I remember being in a staff meeting one time. Our pastor was behind his desk and the staff was around it. And Total Package came walking in. And he said to this Baptist preacher, I'm here. And he didn't even get more than that out of his mouth. And that pastor said, you're not supposed to be in here right now. And Total Package said, I'm, I'm sorry, Father. I'm sorry, Father. And he started backing up. Okay, just so you know, pastors are not called father in Baptist churches. But he didn't know that. He just knew that he had found a place where he belonged. The reason we called him Total Package is because at every public invitation, he would walk the aisle, and he would take these cards that we have to say, do you want to join? What's your decision? He would check every box on it. That's where he got the name Total Package. He, he, ju- he told us, I just, want the, I just want everything that there is here. Total Package. We might be tempted in looking at this parable that Jesus tells and think that he's identifying the tax collector as those among us who are down and out. But it might be easier. Now, you need to really stay with me for about two minutes here, Okay. If you're going to call me a heretic, at least quote me right when we're done. Jesus is picking this tax collector not because he represents the down and out. He's picking him because he represents the up and out. He's the guy that they would have said, what's he doing in church? He doesn't belong here. Who might the up and outs be of our story? Those people of our time who, if they showed up in church today, there's no way we could have a worship service because of the furor that it would be causing. So this is where you need to really listen. Let's just put it into two of the most polarizing figures in American society today. If Donald Trump walked through the back door, I'm not being political, so just I'll show you why in just a minute. But if Donald Trump walked through the back door and came and sat next to you, could you worship? And for those of you who are Donald Trump fans, Trumpers, let me go to the other side. What if Nancy Pelosi came in right behind him and sat right next to you? Are there people in our society that if they showed up in church today would cause church people to say, what's he doing here? That's the tax collector. 
It is an amazing thing that Jesus in this story talks about that guy and throws him into the temple of all places in a worship service. Who would have thought it? When it comes to picking the all-stars, if these are the two choices that we have, it's a slam-dunk decision. Or is it? Because what we find now is that Jesus begins to take a turn with this. We've read through verse... Let me go back and read all of verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus turns slant now. He comes for that assault from the side. He comes to attack the truth with a, with a, a nice little got-you-by-surprise kind of a way. People couldn't even imagine that a tax collector would come and humble himself before God. And yet that's what Jesus has him doing. Let's go back and look at the Pharisee for a moment. I've mentioned this already. Let me just say it again. The Pharisee has an I problem. Okay, the capital letter I. Five times in two verses he uses that in reference to himself. I, I, I. He measures himself against other people. Let me just use that for just a moment to talk about Pharisees in the 21st century. I'm not talking about life in, in Jerusalem now. Now I'm talking about life in our churches. We still have Pharisees. We still have Pharisees that populate our churches who are intent on measuring themselves against other people. Here's a truth for you. Pharisees love to hunt. They're always on the hunt for somebody that they can compare themselves to that makes them look better. Here's a good rule of thumb for you. If you're the one who gets to choose the all-star team, you'll always be on the all-star team, most of us. This Pharisee likes to hunt. So he looks around and he identifies these people that he's better than. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. God, you are so lucky to have me on your team. Jesus sees through that. Jesus won't let him get away with that. And so he says, let's consider the real all-star. And there's the turn. He calls it like it is. By the way, I skipped verse 9. I don't know if y'all noticed that or not. But let's go back and pick up verse 9 so that we really understand the context and what Jesus is driving at. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. What Jesus essentially says in this little parable is, you hear me very carefully, you cannot flaunt your love God life while you dismiss your love people life. The two great commandments that, that uh, Jesus pointed us to, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the way that plays out for us is in the commitment we have to live in a way that honors God. That's the love God part. And many people, especially those who are prone to be Pharisees, 
Love to live that out in such a way that everybody notices. But Jesus won't let us off the hook. We, we don't get a passing grade if we get half of it right. Matter of fact, I would say that if you don't love people, then you're already not loving God. So let's don't be too hard on the Pharisee because actually it's very easy to be like the Pharisee is. So as it turns out, the guy who's rejected is the real all-star of this story. One more time, verse 13. Here's what makes him the all-star. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He is everything opposite of the Pharisee. And Jesus draws a conclusion that is way slant. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So how do we take this parable, this story, and bring it down so that we take something with us today? How do we take this little story that Jesus tells and work it into our lives so that it begins to work itself out through our feet and through our hands and through our mouths every day. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. The way we view ourselves reveals something of our understanding of the nature of the kingdom of God. The way we look at ourselves has an impact on what we believe the kingdom of God looks like and what we think the kingdom of God needs to be like. So Jesus tells this parable, and in doing so, he draws it down. He puts it down there on the bottom shelf where he says, those who look like they have it all together are not automatically those who have it all together. Let me say it this way because I think it's probably the best way for us to capture what Jesus is saying. If you're here today and your tendency and your temptation is to look at yourself and essentially to say, I, I just don't even belong with God's people. I, 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 don't, I don't even deserve to call out the name of God. I would say if that's the way you think, congratulations, you've learned the secret of entry into the kingdom of heaven. It is not about how great you are or how wonderful your Christian outlook is. It's not about how many books you read. It's not about how many classes you teach. It's not about you at all. It's about Jesus Christ. And when we come, the only way we come to Jesus Christ in a way that incorporates his life for us, we, we become his children when we're born again, we're saved, all of those church words we use, when we can come to him and say, I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. He says, congratulations, you're in the proper position to become my child. And all you have to do is ask him to receive what he has offered for you. Pharisee couldn't get there because he couldn't see past himself. The tax collector got there because he saw himself as he really is. So I'll just take you back to that old hymn, 
I think the first time I heard this, even though I grew up in church, did a lot of old hymns. I think the first time I heard this was at a conference in Glorietta. And a pastor that I have since grown to have great appreciation for quoted this as part of the message. Quoting that old hymn. It captures the view of the tax collector here when he says, Nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. What are you clinging to today? What are you looking for to get through life? Where's Jesus in that? Let's pray. And as we pray, I want to invite you to personalize this message. I'm, I, I didn't tell this, and I'm not so sure that Jesus even told it to tear people down. I think the reality is that Jesus told it, and certainly the reason I preach this today is because ultimately at the end of the day, none of us have enough to get us saved. We need Jesus Christ. And in order to appropriate the life that he's given to you, to receive the grace that is offered to you, you have to come like the tax collector and say, I don't have what it takes. I don't even belong here. And when Jesus knows that is your attitude, his hand extends to you and says, come and receive the life that I have for you. Do you have that life today? Are you trying to do enough good to maybe offset the balance at the end of your life and maybe God will let you into heaven with that? Let me just tell you, you can't do enough good for that. But you can surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to come humbly before him and say, I I don't have what it takes, but I know you do and I want the life that you give me. Do you have that life today? Do you want that life today? This invitation time is designed so that you could respond to that offer. And the offer is before you now. What will you do with it? And so, Father, as we come to this time now, we pray that you would work miracles in the hearts of your people today and those who are right on the brink of trusting you for salvation. Father, for some of us today, we... We're tired of trying to do enough good to somehow tip the scale. So give us the courage we need to submit ourselves before you, to fall on our face before you, and acknowledge that you are God, that we are not. Receive the freedom that you give us when we surrender to you. Whatever is the decision of your people today, we pray that you would give them the courage, the strength, and the urgency to make it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.